0: Welcome again to Bible Center Church. My name is Matt Friend, the senior pastor here. Actually, I'm celebrating my 75th anniversary as your senior pastor. I've been here 75 years. I know I look like I take vitamins. I'll tell you where to find them after the service. Uh, No, actually, it's only, I really thought that joke was going to be funnier than it was. (laughs) But... I've been here two years, today's my two year anniversary and to think of all that God has done, his faithfulness for these so many years, it has been my honor uh, to fellowship in the back and in the last several weeks over the phone with Pastor Spradling. I consider him a mentor, I consider him a friend Uh, He jokes like nobody ever jokes, but I know he also loves like nobody loves. It's great to have him in our service. And so many others of you who have joined us, some of you traveled some miles to be here, and you know what it's like to travel and to want to come home. I'll go ahead and ask, how many of you have ever gone on a trip only to realize the most of the trip you just wanted to come back home? Anybody ever been on a trip like that? Yeah, I have. This past week, I went to Clearwater, Florida uh, for three days, and it was for a Global Leadership Summit. They bring senior pastors and executive pastors in from around the country uh, to tell us about how we can prepare our churches and prepare our staffs for the uh, coming Global Leadership Summit here at Bible Center in August. And so they put us up at this hotel. This wasn't the view out of my hotel room, but almost. And even though I had the best food and the best weather and the best accommodations, I wanted to come home almost the entire time. I got to meet a lot of really great people, uh, but I wanted to be back with my family. We thought our kids would have to be in school, and they had uh, basketball games and various commitments, and so I had to go alone. And uh, as I come back into Jaeger Airport, I was so excited to see Charleston. I come back to my house, so excited to see my wife and see my girls, to see my new dog. In that order, my wife, my girls, and my dog. I have a pair of pajama pants that I wear, and I forgot to take them on my trip. And I could, oh, I just, I'm just used to sleeping with these particular pants. They're like two sizes too big, big blue Adidas uh, sweatpants. I have a spot on the couch that I like to sit. If you're familiar with Sheldon Cooper, it's the far right of his couch. It's the same with me. It's the far right of my couch, the same exact spot. There's nothing like coming home. Home represents fulfillment. Home should represent contentment and joy, a place where you can let down your hair and you can just be yourself. But those of us who've been in the house a little too much this winter with the cold weather, we know that even this place of contentment can be a place of discontentment. can be a place of un or dissatisfaction. Even the best gifts of life don't satisfy. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here this morning and you're you're a young mom. You thought that getting married and having children and and living the dream would be the, the height of your fulfillment. But now your life is mostly dirty diapers and carpools and bills. And so you're unfulfilled. Maybe I'm speaking to a a gentleman here, and on the walnut door of your office, your name is engraved in gold, and you have a gold watch on your wrist and a gold card in your wallet, but you're still not satisfied. Maybe I'm speaking to someone who wishes you had chosen a different career, or a different spouse, or a different house, or a different place to live. There's not as much in your retirement account right now as you thought there would be. Or whatever the reason, your health, your friends, your family. There's this discontentment in your heart. I want to clear the air at the beginning of this sermon and say we all struggle with it. We all struggle with the same discontentment. It it has different reasons and different uh, ways it manifests itself, but we all struggle with it. And thankfully, God knows that. And the Lord has given us multiple words of encouragement and challenges in his word that help us face our discontentment, look it squarely in the eye, and to be able to move forward past it. That's what we're going to talk about this morning with the story of the prodigal son. How many of you have ever heard the parable or the story of the prodigal son? Would you raise your hand? Two or three of you. Good. You've heard the story. The story of the prodigal son may be one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told. Rembrandt painted it. Shakespeare used it as a theme for two of his plays. Hank Williams wrote a song about it, and Charles Dickens called it the greatest story ever told. I think it's a great story, maybe the greatest, but it's the worst title. Actually, the story, the title, Prodigal Son, could could be improved greatly. For we know that there were two sons and not just one son. And actually, both sons were prodigal sons that we'll see here in just a moment. As I was preparing this sermon this week, the Lord allowed me to see myself as both sons in different times of this sermon. And I'm asking that God would do the same for you. If not both of the sons, at least one of them Ask God and say, Lord, what part of my heart do you want to change and make more like the Father? That's what we're going to do today. Luke chapter 15 in verse number 1. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'll start reading in verse number 1. It's also on the screen if you just want to follow along there. In Luke 15:1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The first group of people we're going to look at are the tax collectors and sinners. This group of people uh, was one of two types of people to whom Jesus told the story. And really this group of people matches with the younger son, the one that we typically call the prodigal. We want to throw it up on the screen for you. It's in your notes. What does prodigal mean? What does prodigal mean? It's an old English word that simply means excessive, excessive, reckless or extravagant spender, excessive, reckless or extravagant spender. And so this group of tax collectors and sinners were reckless sinners, extravagant sinners. They were unchurched people. But interestingly, they loved to hear Jesus preach. If Jesus was preaching, you never had to make these people go to church. They loved Jesus and Jesus loved them. Actually, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. If you're new to church or you're not sure about this thing called church, Jesus would have liked you. Jesus would have been glad you're here. And I trust that you would have, I know you would have liked Jesus. He ministered to tax collectors and sinners. But there's a second group of people to whom Jesus told the story, and that's in verse number two. These are the Pharisees and the teachers. Notice what they did. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, they complained, they moaned and groaned and griped. It says, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious leaders didn't, not only tried to keep God's law, but they also added to God's law. They added their, their own standards, their own code of ethics, and over time, though their motives started sincerely, over time they, they begin to worry more about what people thought about them and less about what God thought of them. And notice what they were mad about. In verse 2, they were angry that Jesus welcomed sinners. The word welcome means eagerly expecting and looking for sinners, You could almost hear them bellyache and complain that that Jesus, why is Jesus always wanting more people? can he just be content with the congregation he has? Who does this guy think he is? Why is he always wanting uh, us to be looking out for somebody else and to bring them in? This guy really doesn't get it at all. But Jesus did get it. And he told a story about a hundred sheep and one of them was lost And he said he left everything to go find it. Then he tells a story about 10 coins, and one of those were lost. And the woman of the house left, turned the house upside down to find it. And then he tells a story about two sons. And in context, the, the hearers, both kinds of people, would have appreciated the story about the shepherd and the story about the coin. They would have thought, well, certainly, when a piece of livestock is lost, you should go find it. It's valuable. Certainly, when a coin is lost, absolutely, my wife had better turn the house upside down to find it. But then he tells a story about people, and it wasn't a sentimental story. It was intended to tick them off. And Jesus goes right to the heart of their issue. And let's read what Jesus tells This group in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, interrupting him, said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Jesus is describing two kinds of prodigals. The first kind of prodigal, we're going to call them excessive lawbreakers. Excessive lawbreakers. It's using the younger son as his character witness. We don't know exactly how much his inheritance was going to be. It probably wasn't 50-50 between brothers. Typically, the older one got a double portion. But even if it was a third of his inheritance, the younger son was going to get quite a bit. His dad owned property. His dad had servants. And we understand that he was going to use this money to fund his rebellion. But the thing that was most appalling to Jesus' hearers was that this son would do this in a way that wishes his father dead. In this culture, if you said, Dad, I want your inheritance, it was the same way as saying, Dad, I wish you'd die. But since you won't die, go ahead and give me what's coming to me. What is in the mind of the older brother? What's in the mind of a lawbreaker? we throw it up here on the screen for you. I'll be happy if I can break all the rules. I'll be happy if I can break all the rules. In his view, the world would be a better place if authority and morality were removed. He could be free to do what he wanted to do. It says that he went out and lived riotously or wild living, the NIV says. That word means free, without encumbrance. He could live however he wanted to live. Similarly, a skydiver can feel free. Even if he or she doesn't grab their parachute, they're going to feel free for a little while. And this prodigal son felt free, and he felt wild, and he felt unhindered. I'll be happy if I can break all the rules. But notice how his bad works kept him from his father excessive lawbreakers their bad works keep them from God now it didn't keep God's love his father's love for him but his bad works kept him from being in the place where he could experience that love like some of us growing up we knew there were certain things we could not do in our father's house we knew that and so we didn't even try to do those things Because we knew dad wouldn't have it or mom wouldn't have it. He knows that his father won't let him do what he wants to do. So he moves himself. The father didn't move. He moved. And because he moved, there was some distance between him and his dad. But the most striking thing about this parable is this. He wanted God's blessings. He wanted his father's blessings more than he wanted his father. And excessive lawbreakers want God's blessings more than they want God. Let me ask you this. Have you ever known that the choice you were about to make would be sin, but you went ahead and you did it anyway? Has there ever been a time in your life, like all of us, where you knew that what you were about to do didn't please the Lord, but you made the choice anyway? That's younger brother behavior. But I've noticed that the longer I'm in the church, we like to talk about younger brother behavior as in like decades ago, way long time ago before we became a Christian. But we have younger brother behavior in our hearts, even as Christians. What is it, what sin or temptation have you stopped fighting that you know God wants you to fight? What is it in your life that you've allowed to creep in? You see, we have dignified sins and undignified sins. We have Christian sins and non-Christian sins. It's like, well, it's okay if I commit this sin because, you know, it's not that bad. But in this passage, God is calling us back to the Father, back to the place of wholeness and holiness. And if you've allowed some sin into your life that you know doesn't please the Lord, Come back home to your father and say, Lord, I know I've sinned. You know I've sinned. I want a closer walk with you. Maybe for you, it's on the outside, everything's okay. On the outside, people think you're doing well, but maybe it's something on the inside. You're filled with lust or you're filled with anger or you're filled with hatred. Who this week did you pray would die? Or if you didn't pray, they would die. Who this week did you really think, Lord, if you don't kill them, just take them right to the edge? See, we're good about on the outside making ourselves look spiritual, but what is it on the inside that makes you like the prodigal, the younger brother? Men, who is your mistress? Is it a woman at work or a business trip that you regularly take to one of our towns not far away and your wife doesn't know, your friends don't know, you think nobody knows, but God knows. Or maybe your work has become your mistress. Your wife knows it, your kids know it. And it's in one of those things where it's acceptable for you to do that and they're crying out for your love and God's crying out for you to receive his love. Or, as a woman, what is it that has your heart drawn away from your father? Maybe it's the people you see on Facebook. Have you ever noticed on Facebook, everybody has perfect lives? They do. Like the kids, they have play 35 instruments. Everybody else's kids, they play 35 sports. They make 5.0 GPA. And as a mom or a woman, you're like scrolling through that. And in your mind, like you want her husband and you want her life and her vacation and her house and her spending account. All these, that's prodigal son, younger brother behavior. And I love how the story, his story ends. He's in the pigsty and it says he came to his senses. He realized, what am I doing? And he came home to his father's love. And if you have a younger brother tendencies in your heart, I'm just asking you as your pastor to come to your senses and come home to a father who loves you with all of his heart. Excessive lawbreakers May God help us to protect ourselves from that. But there's a second group of people. We're going to call them excessive law keepers. And it's represented by the older brother, So if you look with me back in our passage, in Luke 15, in verse 25, let's look at the excessive law keepers. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. That's how we know it wasn't a church function. There was music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. stop there just for a minute. My dad was in the first service. I love my dad very, very much. My dad and I have gone back and forth at times and had our arguments, but I can't remember a time when I've ever stuck my finger in my dad's face and said, look, this is what he did. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young, this is just hilarious, a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But then, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Who's the second group? What are these excessive law keepers like? Well, they use, Jesus uses the older brother as his character witness again, and he's preaching to the Pharisees and the teachers, the religious leaders, and he's trying to show them, them and God's people should be glad, not mad, when God gives grace to the most undeserving. If we could put a microphone into the the mind of the older brother, into the mind of the Pharisees, they would have been thinking something like this. I'll be happy if I can keep all the rules. I'll be happy if I can keep all the rules. You see, the Pharisees believed they could maintain or find happiness by just doing the right things. And the older brother thought the same thing. If I'm working in my father's fields, I should get everything I want. My life should be great. And when life didn't make sense, it it angered him. How dare my father do this? It's not fair. Because I've kept all the rules, and I don't get a party. Their good works keep them from God. People who are excessive law keepers, their good works keep them from God. Notice what we're doing. We're comparing the two brothers. The other brother, his bad works kept him from God. but, But this guy, his good works were keeping him from God. In what way? How were they keeping him from his father? Well, his father threw a party And he wouldn't go in. Picture him, if you will, with arms crossed, sitting way, way back in the shadows, thinking to himself, I'm not going into that party because he's never thrown a party for me. Our girls aren't in this service, so I'll use an illustration. When they were little girls, they would each get angry when it was the other one's birthday. Today's Katie's 15th birthday. She turns 15, March 4th, 15 years old. But when she was a little girl, and Riley was a little girl, Riley would cross her arms and pooch out her lip and get mad because here's Katie getting all these presents, and here's Katie getting all this cake, and people are just loving Katie, and she wants to know why she's not getting presents, and we try to tell her, it's, it's not your birthday, but I think it's easier to negotiate a peace treaty in, in between North and South Korea than it is to tell little kids why they're not getting presents when it's not their birthday. That's what the older brother was doing. Why am I not getting what I deserve? The the party would have had hired music. It would have hired instrumentation. The smell of meat would be wafting from the ovens, maybe up to a mile away. But he's complaining about the grace that's being shown to his younger brother. You can picture as he tells his dad this. Dad, if you only knew... What I knew about your younger son, you wouldn't be throwing this party. You ever heard anybody talk that way? If you only knew what I knew about so-and-so, you wouldn't let them in your church. You wouldn't let them, and you fill in the blanks. Dad, I don't want to even bring up the prostitute thing around mom, but I'm telling you, dad, it's bad. You really shouldn't have done this. The older brother was angry. Thirdly, we see that he wanted God's blessings, his father's blessings, more than he wanted his father. And and likewise, people sometimes want God's blessings more than they want God. Elder brothers obey God to get stuff. Reminds me of a story I heard of a farmer who loved the king of his country. He grew the largest pumpkin in his garden, and because he loved his king, he took the pumpkin to the king as a gift And he stood in the palace and presented it to the king and and the king expressed his love back to him and he was so satisfied. I love the king and the king loves me. I've given him the best pumpkin of my garden. And he turns around to leave and the, the king says, hey, wait a minute. The king says, you're a fine gardener, a fine farmer. I own some property next to yours. I'll go ahead and give you that parcel of land. It's yours to keep. If you'll promise me, you'll garden it the rest of your life. And the farmer was amazed. A gift, not only love, but a gift. And he left the palace so joyful. I'm going to get to spend the rest of my life farming twice the land I have. Well, there was a nobleman in the palace that heard the whole exchange. So the nobleman got a great idea. He thought, if a pumpkin gets you a parcel of land that big, I'm going to give the king a stallion. So he went home and prepared his finest steed and and came in with pomp and circumstance to the palace, marched the black stallion right up to the king. And he said, king, I love you and I want to present you with my best stallion. And the king just said, thanks. And had his servants take the stallion away and looked away. Well, the nobleman was infuriated. How dare the king? Not give me the same attention that he gave that poor peasant farmer. And the king looked at him and said, This the farmer was giving me the pumpkin, but you were giving yourself the horse. In what ways are you like the older brother? Do you have any tendencies in your heart? Has the Holy Spirit pointed out some areas of your life where you say, You know, I'm a little bit like the older brother? When life doesn't go your way, do you get angry? When when you see somebody else get blessed instead of you getting blessed, do you stomp your foot and clench your fist because God's not been fair to you? Do you feel superior to someone who, who doesn't work as hard as you at work, or they're not as smart as you, or they don't serve in church as much as you serve in church, or they're not as moral as you, or they haven't succeeded in life like you've succeeded? Are you quick to judge others? I got to tell you a story. It's been about a year ago. We were going to have it was a big Sunday. Uh, we had a, one of our missionaries, a global partner, coming to visit, and my daughter was going to be singing in the choir. and And so I wanted to get here extra early. And so as I'm pulling up and I'm letting my daughter out, there was a gentleman walking into the church. I, I'm, I didn't say this in the other service, so y'all getting this for free. Um, He he walks in the service, and he has a backpack on, and he's dressed in kind of like all black and gray, and he has this, like, long, huge beard, and his head is totally shaved. This dude looked tough. I think we should have discernment. We've got a security team, thankfully. Pastor John and Lex and others have done such a great job now. Probably won't going to see him behind the scenes, but we have a security team. But here I am, the senior pastor of Bible Center, and I'm thinking, man, that guy just doesn't look. That guy just doesn't look like Bible Center kind of guy, Right? So I parked my car and and I hurry in. He was coming in the front entrance and I hurry in the side entrance to intercept him. And I intercept him right here in front of Paula's office, almost to the desk, and, and I said, Sir, uh, um, you know, I tried to act all spiritual, right? Could I get your name? Coming to find out it was the missionary. <laughs> He's a missionary in Cambodia, Rob Cady, and he, he ministers to gangs and the, he's on the front lines in Cambodia. And he's like, hey, I don't want to buy new clothes just to come to your church. This is what I wear all the time. And, 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 and it occurred to me, this is that's what we do when we've got the older brother living in our hearts. We can become cynical. Henry Nouwen writes this, cynics see darkness everywhere. They're always looking for impure motives and hidden schemes, and they call trust naive and care romantic and forgiveness sentimental. They sneer at enthusiasm, and they ridicule spiritual fervor, and they despise charismatic behavior. However, people who have come to know the joy of God, may that be us, that we come to know the joy of God, we do not deny the darkness, but we choose not to live in it. Having grown up in a, in a system, a denomination that was somewhat very older brother-like, I know that there's still residual older brother in my heart because whenever I confess my sin to the Lord, even now I almost feel like I've got to repent for three or four days before God will forgive me if I've thought some thought or if I've said some word or if I've done some deed that I know doesn't please the Lord, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I forgive you. And I know that's covered by Jesus's blood and I know nothing can take away my salvation. But Lord, for the next two or three days, I'm going to show you how serious I am so that you'll love me again. I might not say it, but I think it and what happens when that's our heart, when we think that somehow we have to climb the ladder to earn God's love again, that somehow we've fallen down the ladder and we've got to earn His love, we'll treat other people around us with that very same ladder. When our spouse, when our wife, when our husband does something to offend us, we're like, all right, man, three days, three, four days, we'll see if you can earn your forgiveness, buddy. That's what we do to our kids. Right? Like, yeah, hey, listen, I know you're sorry, and I, you, you're going to be sorry. And, you, and, and three or four days, it's, you see how it's killing us from the inside out? This is what kills churches. This is what kills families. What do we do about it? What cure could there be? The answer is in the story of the prodigal son's. The answer is in the father who loved them both. I've worded it this way, the happiest day of your life is when you're satisfied with God's love. The happiest day of your life is when you're satisfied with God's love. Think about what the father did to the older, or the younger brother. The father's probably sitting on his rocking chair on the porch. He looks out over the, his fields and he sees someone that he doesn't recognize. And he sets up a little bit more and he, he looks and then he recognizes that walk. He recognizes his son's gait, And he takes off and he runs off the front porch. Now Middle Eastern men in that culture did not run. Because to run meant that you had to pull up your robe and run. And showing leg was scandalous back then. You didn't show leg. And so he pulls up his robe and he runs to his son and he hugs him and he he kisses him. His son would have smelled like pigs, but he loved him and he cared for him. And he gave him a robe and a ring and sandals and he threw a party and invited the whole neighborhood. Think about what the father did to the older brother. If it had been me, been like, man, I'm going to give you a lecture and tell you. You know what he did the older brother? He leaves the party. He doesn't send a servant. He leaves the party and comes to the older brother, his oldest son, and he speaks to him tenderly. He speaks to him kindly. And he says, "I, everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. Son, I love you. You see, in this story, there's not just two prodigals there's actually three prodigals. There's the younger son, there's the older son, and who's the third prodigal? The father. At the very beginning of the sermon, I had you define what prodigal means. It means reckless, it means extreme, it means excessive. So here's the father that doesn't hold back his love, but he's excessive, he's reckless, he's extreme. The Pharisees who are hearing this story would have thought that father is stupid, that father is unwise, that father is indiscriminate. But Jesus said the father loves his kids. If you hear nothing else and remember nothing else at the water cooler this week, remember this, God loves his kids and there is nothing you could ever do when you become the child of God to lose that love. Nothing. John 6.47, Jesus says, those who come to me, I will never drive out. Never. Ephesians 3:19 says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Imagine what would happen in your family if you believed that God loved you that way, just as much as he loves Jesus. Think about how if you express that love to your children, to your spouse, to your co-workers, to your friends, imagine how that could change your life. Imagine how that could change our church if we showed that kind of love to our city Imagine what it would look like if we became even more a safe place for hurting people, suffering families, broken marriages, those wrestling with addiction, how we could better serve our city. And and no matter their economic status or their ethnicity, we could serve them and love them. I never want to have a conversation at Bible Center ever again about should we serve this particular group or not serve this particular group. Instead, I want our conversations to be, when will we have the resources to serve this group? How can we best serve this group? And may God help us to serve them and find another group to serve next. That's the heart of our Father. If you've never known the reckless love of God, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross. He was the prodigal son of prodigal sons. He had reckless abandonment. He left heaven, was born in a manger, raised, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again so that your sins could be forgiven and mine. This is what the Father's love looks like. This, and I'll close. There's different traditions throughout church history about what happens uh, what people see as they're dying. We don't know for sure. Uh, we haven't died. But if you've ever sat beside the deathbed of a loved one, you know that if they're a believer in Jesus, there's things they see. There's things that they experience that can't be explained. Some talk about seeing flowers. Some talk about seeing the light. Some talk about seeing Jesus. And, and you know, those of us who are a little more, uh, uh, want to be a little more dignified or a little more professional, we sometimes think, well, maybe they're just delusional. But one of the traditions is that not only do they see heaven as they're leaving earth, but that they might actually hear the Father speak words to them. And there's an old tradition that says that the Father speaks these words from the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, in Song of Songs chapter 2, these words. You want to remember these for just a moment. Arise, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, and flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come, and the cooing of the doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, my beautiful one, come away with me. The dove and the clefts of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely." We'll hear those words again in just a moment. But I read this week of a pastor who was a chaplain at a leprosy colony, a leper colony, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. For over 100 years, it was the only leper colony in the United States. Uh, We don't call it leprosy any longer. We call it Hansen's disease. But for a number of years, this gentleman would visit as a chaplain and love people as they were taking their last breath. This week, I read the story about how he had met a woman named Yolanda. And Over a five-year period, this beautiful woman who came in at age 32, just diagnosed with leprosy, beautiful brown hair and translucent brown eyes and a chiseled face, this woman became ravaged by leprosy. Her nose had nearly fallen off. Her fingers, all ten of her fingers, were just stubs. Her ears were also just nubs. Her husband divorced her because she was so hideous. He wouldn't let their two teenage sons go and visit her because perhaps she could be contagious. And Yolanda was dying alone. The chaplain would visit her and witness of the love of Jesus. Yolanda became a follower of Christ in the leper colony. As she was taking her last breaths, her dying breaths, he was anointing her with oil and said that Yolanda saw somebody else in the room. And thinking she's hallucinating, he he asked her, well, Yolanda, who do you see? Her face, all the skin peeling and ravaged, lit up like the noonday sun. She said, Jesus is here. And he's thinking, well, maybe, yeah. She's going to go see Jesus, but he's really not here. And she said, well, Yolanda, what is he saying? And she is illiterate, having never read a book in her life. She said, I'll tell you what he's saying and almost as if listening to this invisible voice translating for the pastor chaplain in the room she said he's he's saying this arise my beautiful one come a, come away with me the winter is past and the rains are over and gone the flowers appear on the earth and the season of singing has come he he says Arise and come with me, my darling. Oh beautiful one, come away with me. Let, let me hear your voice, and, and what he says, my face is lovely." And then Yolanda died. She died, knowing that the happiest day of your life is when you're satisfied with the father's love. If you're the older brother, come home. If you're the younger brother, come home. Because I want the happiest day of your life to be today as you too embrace the Father's love. Let's bow for prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never become a follower of Christ, you can receive him today. You can receive his free gift of salvation. There's a different ways of praying in the Bible. One man just simply prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he left the temple saved. If that's you today and you came in not knowing the love of Christ, but you are ready to receive his love, his forgiveness for your sin and new life altogether, can I ask you right where you sit to pray and receive Christ? I'll pray and I invite you to follow along with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you love me. I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. And I believe he rose again the third day. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me to know and show your love. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you say, Pastor Matt, I prayed that prayer. I meant that prayer. And I'm going to ask you to keep my name anonymous, but pray for me right where I sit that God would help me grow as a Christian. Would you slip up your hand and you put it right back down? Pastor Matt, pray for me. I prayed that prayer today. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. God bless you, sir, on my right. God bless you, sir, on my right. Thank God for you two men. Pastor Matt, pray for me. I prayed that prayer. I meant it. Thank God for you on my left. See, Pastor Matt, I prayed that prayer. I want God to be my savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I thank God for you three men. And I'm going to ask you this week, let's touch base. Reach out to me. I'm going to try to reach out to you. Let's touch base this week and let me help you as you grow in Christ, just like men help me grow in Christ. Let's go on this journey together. Thank God. If you prayed it, you meant that. Jesus says, I promise he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Christian, as we sing this next song, has God spoken to your heart in a specific way? If it's being like the older brother or being like the younger brother, could I ask you to bring that to the Lord? Just like the younger brother came home, say, Lord, this is where you spoke to me. Grow me in this area. Help me to receive and show more of your love. Let's take just a second in the quietness of the moment and do that. And we'll sing this closing song.